Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Usually Nate introduces these, but this is episode three, Conspiracy Theories. Um, may have ruined that in case we do some other form of introduction, like maybe by song or yeah, something. Um, but this is episode three of The Things We Say, and this is a podcast where we talk about all kinds of things that we say and find interesting. Um, I, I identify yourself. Identify. I'm Sheldon. Yeah, and I'm Nate. This was the worst introduction of our three podcasts. This is no, why no. from here on out, Nate will be our intro <laughs> man, and I'm just going to tag off of it. Oh, man. So this is unfiltered, uncut. This is just the things real, we say. The real things we say. Yeah. So me and Nate are political. We think a lot of things politically. We're politically paranoid, I think, <laughs> is a good way to put it. Um, or just very, very alert. You yeah, know, as... Two. We're woke, as the yeah, youth would say. We're woke. Oh, I hate that song. I hate it. That's, it's, it's like a liberal buzzword. I can't even say it. Sorry to all my liberal Wake, friends. Wakeded. Um, we are wakeded. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I found myself, I would say I'm like a reformed Republican. I don't know if that's good to say yeah. politically. I, I don't want to say I'm libertarian. I'm, I'm libertarian to my Republican friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm Republican to my libertarian friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm hated politically by my liberal friends. Right. Because I, sorry, I can't be on the Bernie train. Right. Right. I am, and, and I would say I am a, I am a constitutional libertarian. Uh, that, is, that is my approach. I, I believe that government should not do anything that is not explicitly uh, given to them in the Constitution to do, and that everything outside of that is constitutionally illegal. And that people so you're should an just extremist. Be, no, people should just be left alone to live their lives and do what they do, and uh, that's 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 my political stance. But yes, I was I am from a long line of uh, Republicans. Well, at least on my dad's side. My my grandfather, my mom's grandfather, was a uh, was a was a uh, Kennedy Democrat. You know the the working union kind of kind of guy. Good. So good possibly dude. a Reagan voter. Uh, no, he didn't like Reagan because he worked for Firestone, and Firestone closed down in the '80s while Reagan was in the white house. And so he associated, uh, that issue with, uh, with Reagan and did not, did not like that. He didn't dislike Reagan, but he, he didn't think much of him as a president. So this isn't a politics episode. No. We just want to give you a little background where we're coming at this. We're a little politically paranoid being libertarians. <laughs> we so naturally when we get to talking about politics, we stray into conspiracy theories from time to time, which my liberal friends would point out is, prove something wrong about the way we view <laughs> government. Um, but I, I did some studying into conspiracy theories and there's several elements to most of them. And, and conspiracy theories are huge in America. They go mm-hmm. all the way back to the founding of this country. They go back to stories about the Indians amongst the early settlers and how right. the Indians were all unified and they had this big plan to like kill the settlers. Oftentimes the Indians fought with each other 
more so or more bloodily, oh my goodness, <laughs> in more bloody ways than they did against the settlers right. and, and against the early settlements and in fact helped out the settlements in a lot of ways. And so like the big demon of the Indian scare wasn't, was largely a conspiracy theory. And manufactured by the United States government. And in, in order to create a United States government. Yeah. Rather than these being separate colonies. And so, Indian relations only got messy when the government got involved. Like your whole trail of tears, like the, the straight up genocide of Native Americans, that was U.S. government Often stuff. the government's response to their own conspiracy mm-hmm. theories leads to something far more fearful yeah. than what the story was. And that's something that I want to talk about a little bit is that conspiracy theories often are unfounded or unprovable and their stories are almost like urban legends and they're passed down, but they have several main elements. One is a a fear of an enemy above. So like you're fearing a large government. There are also conspiracy theories of an enemy below, like the Indian scare. Mm -hmm. They were considered to be a lower class. And there was also some slave conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. that allowed the government to grow exponentially in the South regarding slave revolts and things of that nature. So there's, Enemy above, there's enemy below. Enemy within came into our culture quite a bit when we talked about like communists and the Red Scare and even with the way um, Germans were treated during World War II and and Japanese, people of Japanese descent were treated during World War II. The enemy within, the fear of spies, it could be anyone. And actually a lot of the alien conspiracies come out of enemy within stories Mm -hmm. because your neighbor could be an alien. Like we all know these stories, but that's founded on an enemy within. And then you have the enemy outside. So like the great, like we're scared of the Hun in World War II. Like we want to conjure up all these pictures of Germans that are like eating babies. And Mm -hmm. the Germans did this about the Jews. They would, and that was an enemy within and an enemy outside um, in that they, they said that the Jews were controlling way more than they actually were. And so um, like the Jews were some sort of puppeteer that was holding the German people down from from World War I. And that's the kind of thing that catapulted Hitler to power. And really the whole Jewish Jewish thing had little to do with ethnicity and race as we're so often led to believe today. It was very much a class warfare thing. You know, absolutely. They looked at Jewish communities that were successful, and and in today's terms, they were the one percent in Germany. They were the ones who, even though Germany was in economic disaster, there were a lot of you know Jewish businesses and successful. You know, you know they they. And Hitler looked at that, hated that, and created the stories. Yep. And the stories were, were what were powerful and what sold a lot of people right. in this stuff. So. When we talk about conspiracy theories, I I want to make it kind of clear that this isn't just a libertarian thing. This isn't like a wacko uh, religious right or conservative right or anything. This, like, liberals have large conspiracy theories that have grown the size of government in regards to enemy within and enemy below and enemy outside. and. You guys have conspiracy theories too. Conspir- conspiracy they might theories not be are the like same butts. as ours. Everybody got one. Everybody got one. <laughs> and and whether you're a lower class and you're fearing above class, a <clears throat> lot of the reasons conspiracy theories are successful is because they do play off of real fears right. that people have. And they are founded in reality. 
Um, and, and that you do have a fear of a government getting too big. And that's one of the things that drove our founding fathers to overthrow the power of the king right. is because they feared a huge government and mm-hmm. they structured our government in a way that it wouldn't get too big. And so some of our fears that we have today and our movies that we make today and things like mm-hmm. that are coming from a place of fear about our government getting too big. And so we're going to talk about some of our favorite conspiracy yes. theories. That's what this episode is about. That was yes, a prequel yes. for you. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about our two favorite conspiracy theories. Uh, I asked Nate to pick one, and I also <clears throat> picked one. And um, here's before I introduce what mine is, I'm going to let Nate go with his first. I'm going to just tell you the ones that I passed over mm-hmm. to get to mine. Um and some that you might be interested. First of all, how did we move on so quickly from Antonin <laughs> Scalia? Can we just talk yeah. about how Supreme Court justice just died in this country, and he died in a locked room with a pillow over his head in a secret society uh, like retreat center <laughs> or commune? We don't even know what this is. And there was no secret service, in, even on the compound from what I gather. And... Supreme Court is one of the highest branches in our land, yes. and he could have been assassinated. It, it and was just it was shady circumstances on. at at best. Netflix, PBS, whoever's <laughs> listening, please do this documentary yes, just in my in my honor. Please, on. yes. Like okay, so we passed. A, I passed over that one. I also passed over. And the, just so you know, we will accept the answer that he was old and overweight. Like that is that is plausible. But he was we Italian. Would, we would like to see some proof one way or the other. We would like to know what exactly happened and not just say, well, they burned his body and that was yeah, the I end won't of it. accept that he was murdered. <laughs> I feel like he was smothered. Yes. But that goes back to some of my fears about the regime at the time. Right, right. Um, right. Anyway, so um, we're. The other one that I passed over was the Denver airport. Um, oh, yes. That one I find fascinating. I watched uh, Jesse Ventura thing that you can find on YouTube. Type in Jesse Ventura, the Denver airport. The theory it's itself is a labyrinth. Like it is just Yeah, and there's a lot of unexplainable things. So I won't get into that one, but do it on your own Look time. It it's fascinating. Um, the What was I going to say? The other conspiracy theory that I passed over to get here oh. I thought was very fascinating. Oh, Area 51. Area 51. I've been doing a lot of reading on Area 51. I just want to talk about the Roswell incident for a moment. Yeah. And my belief that it was an actual Russian craft. And mm. that is, and that the UFOs that we were seeing, some of it was Russia was testing some new jet propulsion and they wanted to be able to spy on us. And yeah. they were using new ways of getting aircraft in the air. At the same time, we're working on the U 2 spy plane. And yeah. not telling anyone about it. And right. so, like, half the UFOs that people were seeing were from our own testing facilities there at Area 51 on top secret black operations. Yeah. And half of it was we didn't want to scare the living daylights <laughs> out of the public that Russia was able to invade our airspace right. at a time when we were supposed to be, like... The dominant... The, the dominant yeah. superpower at the time. Well, and, and, and let me... Yeah, go ahead. Go and ahead and this talk. all goes back to like the end of World War II mm-hmm. and the paperclip program, which oh. this is awesome. Yeah. Okay, so at the end of World War II, Hitler's regime falls, and there is an immediate rush between the Americans and the Soviets to get yep. the top scientists, the top German brains, not to bring them up on charges at Nuremberg, but to get them quickly out of the country and working on our own projects 
in the ramp up to what we we didn't know that the Cold War was going to be cold. Right. We were assuming this was going to be a hot war. Yeah. And so we wanted the best minds. So we created the paperclip program. We went and got a bunch of German scientists, what we thought were the best, and brought them over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Russia did the same, but they did it a little bit different. They got a whole bunch of German scientists together, got them trashed, told them to go get their family and belongings, whatever they wanted when they were going on a great like booze cruise trip on a train, took them to Siberia or somewhere in the far-flung regions of Russia, yeah. put them basically in a concentration camp and right. made them work on all these Russian projects. Right. And actually, they got two of the very best guys with stealth technology mm-hmm. and with uh, rocket technology, two brothers, uh, I want to say their names were Holden. I don't. I, I could be wrong on that. I just read the book, but anyway. Um, but when we were working on the U two spy plane, we figured out that they were ahead of us. Yeah. In their being able to be detected by radar and all that. So well, the Roswell incident was yeah. a Russian crash. Well, one of the crashed one in of the, Roswell an and was speared away to the Air Force. An base. interesting side note to that: uh, Werner von Braun, who was obviously he was he was a Nazi Party member, and he was brought into the United States. Uh, during Operation Paperclip, and he was uh, essential in developing the rocket technology for uh, the the Apollo program. And basically, yeah, because of him, was. we ended up in the, on the moon. But he was actually it was really interesting. I read a book about it. He actually was a Nazarene when he when he Whoa. came to the yeah when he came to the United States. Was um, he a Nazarene in Germany? No, he was Protestant. Okay. You know, because most Germany is is Protestant. It was a, yeah. it's a predominantly pro- Protestant place was then at least. Uh, but but when he came over here, he he. You know, obviously, he renounced his uh, party membership. He had, uh, uh, you know, became an American citizen, and he became a a member of the Church of the Nazarene. So that's one super weird thing, you know, that I found out recently. Yeah, I can already tell this podcast is going to be a two part podcast because <laughs> we've used up a lot of time. Yeah, we've used up a lot of time on the, on, on the prologue on the ones that I've skipped over to get to where we're going. Yes. So, um, so we'll do the part one, you part two, me. How about that? No, that's fine. I've you can go ahead with yours. No, keep going. Oh, I'm good. I'm you you yeah. want me to continue on with the roll one that with I actually it. Just roll. chose? You're, you're on a roll. Okay. I'm going to go with it. All right. So I, I am fascinated by Area 51, and I, I do like all that. But I passed over this for um, one that fascinates me probably more than that. And that's the Titanic that sunk. And you guys all know that the Titanic sunk. What I believe, after reading enough of this, is that it wasn't the Titanic that was sunk. Um, what they sank, and I say they sank, was the Olympic. Titanic had two sister ships. One was the Olympic and one was the Britannic. Um, The Olympic was built first, and um, I I was just (laughs) reading some of my notes because when you get behind this mic, like it's some, it's a story (laughs) to tell. And I've heard all this and I've, I've read a lot of it, um, but it's a story to tell and I want to get it right. And I do know that the white star line was owned by JP Morgan, um, an American businessman. He bought the white star line and it was, and they wanted to build three huge colossal ships to move people from Britain, places in Britain, mainly London to New York. The yeah. London to New York corridor is what they wanted to monopolize. And they wanted to do it in style. They wanted to do it with all the pomp and circumstance. Um, so they commissioned the building of three ships, the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. And the Titanic was supposed to be the big one. Mm-hmm. That was the one that they wanted to use as the flagship. Uh, but the Olympic was built first. And it, it was more of... 
it wasn't a prototype. Like it had all the fanfare, and right. and it it uh, when it was built, they put it through a two to four day testing operation that was overseen by the British government to make sure that it was a seaworthy vessel and and everything before it had its maiden voyage. Um, there was a lot of testing went into it. This something this big hadn't really been done before right. as far as ocean liners it was completely go. Revolutionary. Yeah. And so it was new technology. They wanted to make sure it works. And and so Olympic um, was captained by the guy that the White Star Line had at the very top, Captain John Smith. Now Captain John Smith was a cowboy. This guy was the NASCAR driver of his time. He was <laughs> he was and he was full of himself because mm-hmm. he was told that he was the best. He was the greatest. He was very full of himself. He would do things with ships that you shouldn't really do with ships. And so he was rather careless. And, and that, that is, you see that in the Titanic story and, and what we know of the Titanic story. We're like, how did this happen? How did, how did you do something this stupid in the middle of where you did it in the middle of an ice field? Um, he had done stupider things before. <laughs> he was driving through a harbor. This was the biggest incident. He had two incidences with the Olympic, okay. um, where the Olympic was damaged. But the one that, uh, da- that damaged it the worst was he captained it, and he was in a harbor, and he ran into the HMS Hawk, which was a which was in Her Majesty's service. Yeah. It, was a, it was a British warship. And he was going too fast. He pulled the HMS Hawk into, its, into the side of his... Well, that's the British story. The yeah. British story is that he pulled the Hawk into the side of it. Um, it. It says here, the two ships were close enough to each other that Olympic's motion drew the Hawk into her aft starboard side, causing a, extensive damage to the liner both above and below the waterline because the Hawk was fitted in re- with a reinforced ram below the waterline designed to damage enemy ships mm. because she was a warship. Right. And um, the Admiralty inquiry blamed the Olympic. So the official position of the British government was that the Olympic was at fault. Okay. So what you have here is a major insurance nightmare. Oh, yeah. You just ran into a government quote-unquote, ran into a government ship. You were probably driving too fast. You you were too close. You got pulled together, and it damaged the keel of the ship and did some major internal damage to the Olympic. And so they refused, the insurance company refused to pay a dime. Hmm. And the Olympic had to go back in for repairs. So you send the Olympic back in for repairs, and it's all on their dime. And this whole adventure for the White Star Line is totally speculative and saying, like, we're going to be able to capitalize on all this because we have these huge ships, but they're speculating that they're going to make all this money. If you have a setback this early that nobody's paying for, $800,000 worth of repairs and months and months that the Olympic is going to be out, you got to do something. Right. And you got to do something fast. Yeah. So what they ended up doing, the conspiracy in all this is, they took the Olympic, did a quick patch. What they would have had to do is split the keel, split the whole ship to go in there, replace the keel, replace so a many. Total refit. In, yeah, this is a total dry dock. You had to do all this. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know anything about shipbuilding, but it was a big <laughs> endeavor. So they they had to patch it all up. What they did is they just put a heavy patch over it 
it had a pronounced lean to the port side mm-hmm. and it had it ever since after the wreck. Yeah. And a lot of the survivors of the Titanic say that the Titanic had a pronounced lean to port to the port side. And that's because they took the, they switched the Olympic and the Titanic mm. while they were both in dry dock. The, the Olympic to be fixed and the Titanic for production. Okay. And so they patched together the Olympic real quick and brought it out as a Titanic. And they put it only through a one day maneuver test, which they did at half speed. And unlike the Olympics, like two to four yeah. day test. And so, because she couldn't do anything at full speed because it had been so heavily patched. Mm -hmm. So then the conspiracy was to take the Olympic half full into the middle of the ocean and sink it and to collect the insurance money to, in order to continue paying for everything. Yeah. So the conspiracy comes in that this was, this plan was hatched by JP Morgan, Bruce Ismay, the president of the white star lines. And there was a couple other people that were in on it. And captain John Smith was in on it because he owed them yeah. for the wreck and the incident. And he wasn't going anywhere and he completely owed them his life. Um, so five days before the Titanic, the Olympic made her maiden voyage, a ship called the Californian mm-hmm. left and there was a coal strike at the time. There was a complete coal strike, so lots of people out of work, lots of ships not leaving. There was no way that it would be hard to get crew members or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it would be hard to get coal. There was a ship called the Californian that left port headed for, for Boston five days before, fully cold, totally empty, except for her crew, and a cargo of woolen sweaters. Mm. She sailed out into the middle of the ocean, parked in the ice flow in in the ice field where the Titanic wrecked, yeah. and stayed right there. Okay. The Titanic had its maiden voyage. It sails out um, real quick. There were some people that canceled their reservations. Mm. Most of first class canceled their reservations. Most of the first class that was reserved because the people that actually booked first class were given second class bunkers and told that the first class was reserved. In fact, there wasn't very many people in there. Um, and so most of the high profile people were not on the ship. Some people that JP Morgan didn't like so much. John Jacob Astor, some of those guys. They made the voyage. Um, Bruce Ismay made the voyage. Um, but mysteriously survived very, very well with a grand tale of how he survived yeah. the whole Titanic ordeal. Um, and uh, J.P. Morgan canceled the last instant, and huh. it was because of illness. He was found safe and sound in the south of France with his mistress a couple of days later. And, and John Jacob Astor, if I'm not mistaken, at the time was the wealthiest man in the world. I believe so. And, 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 and that was a title that had not long before that belong to JP Morgan if I'm yeah. not not um, Oh, there's tons of bad blood to yeah. go around here. Um couple things about when the Titanic sailed, there was a lot of last minute cancellations. Okay. A lot of JP Morgan chases and uh close friends. Yeah. Bruce Esme's wife canceled. Huh. Um she decided to even though her, he was she he was cited illness it. at first but then her kids went on a motoring hol- holiday they said. Okay. I don't know. 
anyway, that was really interesting. But there's a lot of interesting people that got left off the Titanic. The Titanic left with a uh, smoldering coal fire in Bunker 10. Um, and they had a whole, it was fully cold. Instead of putting the fire out or emptying it, they filled it up. And some people say that could be a backup plan. Say you can't sink the ship. It doesn't actually sink. It doesn't get a hole that's big enough. You say, hey, there's a fire on board. And you open the doors and you fill the ship with smoke and everybody mm. has to leave. And then you can sink it at your own free will. Huh. So anyway, you have the Californian sitting out in the ice flow. You have the Titanic sailing her direction. Um, and at the time, it was no big deal to sail through the ice field at full speed because you could take on these icebergs and, and if there was a big one, you could avoid it. You could see for miles ahead. And it was, it was a fairly clear night. There was no reason to go half speed and there was no reason. Nobody ever parked in the middle of an ice field except for the Californian. She parked in the ice field. Her captain who was over six foot tall took a, took his night, not in his quarters, but on a couch in the chart room behind the bridge and almost like he, he was fully was waiting closed, for like he yeah. was waiting for something. Um, and he did send three messages that night, all to the Titanic, specifically addressed to John Smith, with his location, just telling him where he was, huh. specifically to the captain. Yeah. Uh, John Smith sails in there, and they did see the iceberg. Um, they didn't take evasive measures. They, they tried from the documentary that I watched and some other things, it, they put the, they gave the correct action, like to turn to the left. Yeah. But they put the engines in reverse, which has the opposite effect. Right. So then you end up going broadside right into the iceberg, which you would never do. It's, right. it's a bad idea. Right. And they did it. Um, and there was no panic on the ship. None at all. Um, at the time that they originally struck the iceberg. Now, people below deck were fighting fires. People below deck were having a lot of problems. But right. people above deck, it, I was watching it tonight. They, they were talking about it took an hour and a half to get the first lifeboats in the water. And yeah. the first lifeboats left partially filled. Yeah. And like some of the first filled, survivors yeah. that were in those lifeboats were told, you know, you, it's okay. Uh, we will be rescued by the Californian if you're not back for breakfast in the morning. Yeah. And so they just put them in the water and they let them float away. Um, and that was because when they struck the iceberg, John Smith asked his cartographer to give him a position of where he was. We know now that that guy was off by 12 miles mm. and he put himself where, like where he thought they were, right. uh, would have been in the line of sight of the Californian, but right. they were not. Ooh. They were 19 miles away. Um, and so the Californian was looking for them, and they were looking to rescue them. So the Californian, according to their logs, they saw a distress signal, or what they thought was a distress signal. There was actually another boat in between the Titanic and the Californian, mm. and it was an illegal seal hunting boat. And so they would send up flares to bring back their little like rowboats that were out hunting seals. And they, this was the middle of the night. It was about a midnight. They send up flares only mast high so that they could see that. And they come back to the boat. Um, but anyway, so every time the Titanic's distress signals were red, white, and blue, this small little ship that was doing illegal sealing was only white. What the Californian records show is that their captain was asking captain Lord was asking, what, what color, color are the flares? Huh. And it was always reported to him as white. 
and they reported eight times that they saw white flares. The Titanic sent up over 20 red, white, and blue flares. Yeah. And so he wasn't getting the signal. And he, he wasn't was saying, even looking it's, in the right direction. He, yeah. he was looking in the right direction, but wasn't seeing the right. Titanic. And he's like, oh, this, it isn't happening. There's no reason to go over. And yet the Titanic saw a ship in the distance that they were pretty sure was just going to sail over and yeah. rescue them. So none of the crew was excited. None of the crew was in a hurry. And as the Titanic sank, first of all, a lot faster than they thought it was going to sink, they didn't have time to get everything get everything prepared the way they thought they were. They thought they were going to be rescued. They thought it was going to sink slowly. And all of a sudden, they have to fill up life every available lifeboat with yeah. as many people as they can. It becomes a big panic, becomes a story that we heard. And that's because there was a miscommunication between the rescue ships hmm. and the ship that actually sank. Long story short, here we go. The end of the story is, because this Titanic was such a disaster, J.P. Morgan Chase was paid not the $5 million that he insured the boat for, $12 million, hmm. because he was able to put the insurance company against the wall. Yeah. The Olympic sailed the rest of her life, was known as Old Reliable. And with the heavy damage that she had had, there is no way she yeah. would have ever had that name. Yeah. And it was the most reliable of the Titanic, the Britannic, and the Olympic. The Olympic was the best sailing ship. She was never known after that to have a list to port yeah. side. Um, only the Titanic was reported to have that. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that go into yeah. the things that were covered up, the things that were covered over, the flooring, the nameplates, the the bell. There's all kinds of things yeah. um, that go into that conspiracy theory. But it's and so, you know, it, obviously it doesn't matter that it was Titanic or Olympic. Like that part of it's fairly irrelevant in terms of... Yeah. Yeah, but, but just so the, the whole scam that really was a brilliant plan. Yeah, it was an insurance fraud. But just things didn't line up the way it was supposed to. Absolutely. And one of the chief crew members that was on the ship wrote to his sister in a letter and said, I still hate this ship. Oh. On Titanic's main, on his main voyage. On voyage, yeah. Which would be weird for somebody to say unless he was on something else. A ship that he had crewed before. Yeah. And so, they left with not very many crew because they, a lot of the crew members refused to come. They... The, a lot of the crew members were handpicked by John Smith. Yeah. And that's weird because there was a coal strike going on and there wasn't any work. So they decided to wait around. Right. And just and not see work. what would come up rather than taking the Titanic's taking, yeah, maiden the, voyage. And, and it was the Titanic. I mean. Absolutely. Well, the other the thing that's interesting to me about that whole thing, I mean, obviously there's so much you can go into with that. But I'm curious, it, was there a whole lot about why... Uh, um, oh, what's his name? The designer of the ship. I just lost his name. Uh, uh, Bruce Ismay was Bruce the president Ismay. of yeah, the, the president White of the White Star, Star Company. Right. And, yeah. So, so was there any any like theory as to why he was even on the ship? Why did he go? Was it was it to make sure it got executed properly? Like, what was there anything about that? I'm just probably curious. I didn't I don't know too much about that. Yeah. I do know that Bruce Ismay was what well, he did face a lot of public right. scorn Ridicule. after the right. thing. So, a lot of people feel like he was treated badly. Anyway, and that his story didn't line up. And there's a lot of everyone involved in the Titanic story hates Bruce Ismay. Yeah. Um, but J.P. Morgan Chase wasn't a nice guy. 
I mean, yeah. by all accounts, he was... He was a dirty dude. He was a dirty dude, and yeah. he did a lot of dirty things. He did a lot of dirty deeds in an age where there was no accountability for right. someone of his wealth. This wasn't the Twitter age. Yeah. He was the worst of the worst. Like, even the ones who were terrible feared that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and even down to the British government. And the reason the British government probably helped in the cover-up and didn't expose, even though they had public trials and those kinds of things, didn't expose the whole thing, was because they couldn't have those shipyards go under. And they still had the actual... the They, they still had the Britannic that they were building and the... And the Titanic or whatever Olympic they were whatever patching it was. up, yeah. you know, whatever they were actually fixing up there, um, what they were building. They were still building the actual Titanic hmm. and they're still building the Britannic. So they couldn't have those go under. So they had to cover it up. Yeah. Um, that's but that's, crazy. that's the, that's the whole story there. Wow. Um, well, right then. It's a weird conspiracy theory. Yeah, so. no, it yeah. is. It is. And, but again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's totally plausible because again, that's a lot of money. Yeah. At stake. That's a lot of, yeah. That's a lot. This is boring podcast. I just really rambled. Oh no, that was that was good. That okay, was good. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, tell you what, we'll end up doing uh, doing the second half conspiracy theory as a part two, and uh, and yeah. I'll, and I'll kind of talk through some of mine on that. So. Nate's is going to be a lot more interesting. So you're going to want to <laughs> stick around for conspiracy theory number two, part two, the Nate Ward version. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. Actually, well, yeah. I hate Nate's conspiracy theory. Don't <laughs> listen to the next one. <laughs> oh my word! All right. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch you guys on the flip side on this one, and we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll continue this next time around. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The things we say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.